Let's get into the word today. I want to share with you, you know, the idea is that we're in the relationship series, right? So the great part of the relationship series is you're going to tell me how to better my marriage and and better my life and be a better parent. And you're going to tell me what the Bible says about this and that, about all of these things. And yet sometimes we don't focus on what we need to do as people in our relationships. So today I want to talk to that idea of what we need to be as people in relationship, in partnership with each other. And so today my message is called Be a Gold Digger. Okay? Be a Gold Digger. Now, this has nothing to do with the kind of gold digger you all think I'm talking about from the song, okay? But this is the idea that, let me share with you. The last two weeks we've been um, trekking around Idaho, um, we went up to Banff, we went down to Montana, which honestly I was trying to figure out a way to live in Montana and still be a part of the well. I was like, this place is gorgeous, why does anyone go to Disneyland? Like, what? this place is gorgeous, although I don't want to tell you where we went because it's got to be our place, okay, I can't tell you where we were, no, but it was so pretty there, and so we were really um, just refueled and refreshed, but we did bring three children along for the ride. 32 hours of driving, okay? And so there were moments when it got a little hairy, and it wasn't because of the driver, okay? <laughs> so our daughter, Eliana, she's a precious one. She is going to be two, and she is all things two right now, and it is terrifying and terrible and sometimes really cute. But she has this scream that is like an exorcism, That's really what it's like. It is like a pterodactyl coming down and trying to tear apart your flesh. And that's what it feels like internally and externally. And she'll just do it at random. And we'll just veer the car off the road because we didn't know it was coming. And it is terrible. And so there was times in our trek that we all screamed like that. We all were terrified. We all were angry and frustrated. And in the midst of all of this, of course, I'm constantly analyzing how to be a better parent, right? Now, I think we all know if you are a parent or you want to be one one day, you'll find out. But that parenting really brings out the worst of you and, and then the worst of you. <laughs> like, it just reflects constantly on how much better you could do. And you're just like, this is hard, okay? And every day you get up and you're like, I'm going to do it right today. And then they come in and interrupt your sleep and you scream. No, that's just me. <laughs> and so every, time, every day I'm thinking, okay, I can do this better. How do I do this better? And so as I'm thinking about this and preparing our, the message for this morning, I'm realizing that a huge part of who my children will be, and this is why parenting is hard, is dependent upon how much I show them who they are, right? And so it's my job to dig out the gold within them. It's my job to dig out the gold within my husband. It's my job to dig out the gold within my friends. It's my job to dig out the gold within you. It's our job to do that for each other. Because how many of you know we can't often see the gold inside of ourselves? It has to be mined out. It has to be pulled out. Somebody has to be there to help you see the greater side of you. Especially when you're ugly. Especially when your attitude is terrible. And I don't mean physically ugly, okay? 
I mean, like, you know, ugly. Like, maybe you don't know because you're so pretty all the time and perfect, but I'm not. So, <laughs> so with this idea, let's go ahead and pray and we'll jump into the message. God, we just worship you and we thank you so much for your word. God, I just thank you for our church. I thank you for this place, this place of, um, that leans in every single week and is a place of expectation and, and hopes for something to dig out of a message. And I just pray that as we dig into your word today, God, that you would be in our midst, Lord Jesus. God, that you would completely just take over every word that comes out of my mouth, Lord Jesus, and that you would just be gracious to us in this moment as we learn how to be gold diggers in the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So oftentimes, we are really good at encouraging others when it benefits us, right? And so I want to tell you, though, that the Bible warns against those kinds of things. In 1 Corinthians 10, 24, it says this, No one is to seek his own good, but good of other, the other person. So we are to put our, uh, others before ourselves. But when it comes to relationships, we often are stuck in our own world of feelings, frustrations, and expectations. Right? We often look at the other person and not, don't think about the good in them. We think about what's not adding up in them to benefit me. Right? We say, oh, well, that is making me act this way. So Eliana, her scream, pulls out the demon inside of me that makes me go crazy. It's not her fault. It's my fault. Right? Like, so we are often thinking about how I can change you in order to benefit me. Instead of thinking, it's not about me. I want to change you and help you change, not change you. I want to help you change and see your potential because of you. Because right now, you're holding yourself back. Right now, you don't see the God-given gifts and talents and things inside of you. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. So as a partner in any relationship, any relationship, anyone you speak to. It's your job to help sharpen each other. Now, there may be a coworker in your world who you're like, I don't know how to sharpen that person. I'm going to tell you some ways, okay? And they're nice ways. They're encouraging ways, okay? Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here, the word used for stir up is this idea of incitement. Incitement means to stir up, to spur on, to urge on, or to be provoked. Which, if you look at that word in Acts, you see it in a negative way. Here, you see it in a positive way where he's saying, the writer is saying, it's your job to be provoked into encouraging people. And in that, you're provoking and spurring on encouragement in and through them. So the Bible is asking us to be provoked, to be to a place where when somebody provokes us, good things come out of our mouth, <laughs> right? To be encouragers. See, if these verses aren't enough for you, I have a story of Moses. And when you look at Moses, if you know the story at all, you can go back and read it, but it's a lot. So I'm going to 
sort of recap it for you in 30 seconds or less. But in short, Moses led the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt, and he brought them into two. He didn't bring them into, he brought them to the promised land. Now, this took 40 years. The problem was that the Israelites were a little whiny. They didn't, they literally was, they literally had food raining down from heaven every single day for them, and they still complained. And they had to take this very long trek that should have taken two weeks, and it took 40 years. So Moses, like me, with Eliana, lashed out in anger and screamed right back, struck a rock to give them the water they were asking for, and got angry. And so God said, guess what, Moses, you don't get to go in the promised land because of that. Now, first of all, if I was Moses, I would be complaining. I would be the whining Israelite. I would be pitching a fit saying, How, I just did this for 40 years with these crazy people and you're telling me I can't even go in? But here's what I love. In Deuteronomy 138, God says this to Moses. He says, Joshua, son of Nun, who attends you, will enter it. Joshua will enter the promised land. And this is what I want you to hear. He says, encourage him, for he will enable Israel to inherit it. Then we go on to Deuteronomy 31, 7 through 8, which says, Moses then summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. Moses is pulling out gold inside of Joshua. He's encouraging Joshua's gifts. Be strong and courageous, for you will go with this people into the land of the Lord, the Lord swore to give to their fathers. You will enable them to take possession of it. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Now think about Moses for a second, like I said. He leads these people out of Israel for 40 years, not to mention the time he had to spend fighting for them from Pharaoh. He's fighting for these people, and God's saying, I'm not letting you go into the promised land, but you're not done because I want you to encourage the next generation under you to get ready to go into the promised land. Now, if you're Moses... You're thinking, you're not letting me in, but your expectation is that I get the next generation ready. So to see Moses be able to say to Joshua, you're going in and here's what you got to do. Be strong and courageous. I'm encouraging you. I'm releasing you. It talks about him giving him some of his authority. That's a big ask. Then you look at your own relationships. Look at your, don't look at your spouse. Look at the people around you, though, that are in your world who you can't handle 40 years with. They're whining and complaining. Who you can't handle a 32-hour car drive with. Who you're going crazy about. Could you be like Moses? Who was told, you're not going in, but Joshua is, and it's your job to encourage him to go. So I feel like Many of us are in that place of where God's saying, look around you and encourage the person next to you to get ready. Encourage those around you. And he's asking us to pull out the God-given gifts and destiny that is in the life of the person that we're struggling with. Maybe we're not struggling with them. Maybe we are just totally in love and everything's blissful. It's our job still to consistently and constantly constantly pull out the gifts inside of them. He's asking us to become selfless and to set aside your anger 
to set aside your bitterness, to set aside your expectations, to set aside your frustration, to be calm in the midst of their storm. Eliana, (laughs) he's asking us to be the steadfast thing in their life that they can always look to for encouragement, that they can always know is going to say, you know what? You're better than that. You know what? I forgive you. Well, I didn't ask for forgiveness. It's okay, I forgive you. You know? That's what he's asking for us. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's what our Savior did for us. And God is asking us to slow down and see those we are in relationship with the way God sees them. You see, most of us really love the verse out of Psalm 139, where it says this, Oh yes, you shape me first inside then out. You form me in my mother's womb. I thank you, God. Hi, God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. This is David saying how great he is. (laughs) And we like this verse. We like going, okay, God, this is awesome. We feel good. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for creating me. Thank you that, you that you created every part of me, that you know me so intimately. And yet I'm encouraging us to take this verse and put the name of your person next to you in it. Take this verse and praise God the way David was praising God for himself and his creation and the uniqueness that he saw in himself because God created him that way. Take this verse and apply it to your spouse or your child who you're having a difficult time with or your coworker, and say, oh yes, just as he shaped me, he shaped you. Just as you did that for me, God, I praise you for the person next to me. I thank you for them being fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you that, that you put them together bit by bit. You're a marvelous God. You're beautiful, God. The things that you've created, the people that you've created, these people are fearfully and wonderfully made. So let's dig in quickly to three ways that we can be a gold digger. You guys ready to be gold diggers? Okay, now you can, li- <laughs> you can listen to that song in a whole new light. Parts of it. Other parts you can't apply here, okay? <laughs> so the first point is this. Honor those around you. Okay, we don't like the idea of honor very much. Not in this generation. We struggle with honor. We struggle with honoring our parents. We struggle with honoring those in authority. We struggle with honoring each other. But 1 Peter 2.17 says this, Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor or the president. The word translated here, honor, is the Greek word tameo, which simply means to reverence, to worship, to hold in awe, to place at a high value. So we're to place at a high value the people in our lives and not in our lives. And that is a hard thing to do. 
Okay, it's hard because we disagree strongly with certain people. There are certain things that people do that we just do not respect, to do, do not care for, and I get that. But God is saying, honor them. And I think sometimes honor isn't so much about the person, it's about you. Learning to kind of let go of those things that hold you back from moving into what God's called you into. Because you're struggling, because you're angry, because you're frustrated. But it's this idea of putting others before yourself. G.K. Chesterton says this, Honor is a luxury for aristocrats, but it is a necessity for hall porters. It's necessary for us to call out and honor those all around us at every level, every stage, every person you encounter. From the person impoverished on the streets to the CEO of your company, it's our job to honor people. Romans 12.10 says this, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters outdo one another, showing honor. Acting in honor is nothing without an attitude of honor. Okay, we can act in all the right ways, right? But if our attitude isn't honoring, it still doesn't go anywhere, right? It's still hopeless. It still isn't helpful. We need to come into a place of honoring others. And how do we do that, right? Like, it's like, well, how do I, I can act in honor. Acting is easy. Changing my heart is reshaping and reforming how you see people. And this is what I'm asking us to do. I'm asking us to see people not as we see people, not as they are today, not, as, not according to their behavior or what they say or do, but I'm asking us to see people how God would see them. How does God see the person next to you? How does God see those in authority? We need to shift our perspective from how we see them and what we understand about them to how God sees them. And the thing about honor is that when you honor someone, you're speaking to something inside of them. Something that says that they are valuable beyond measure. See, I'm speaking to a place of leadership that I see in a person when I'm honoring them. I speak against a spirit of complacency and settling when I speak over someone, honor. I speak to the visual I see of them being a child of God, one who can walk around confidently with a crown upon their head. I'm speaking to that. I'm not speaking to the two-year-old behavior, which is happening in some of the adults, not in this room, but like, you know, other places. I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to what I see, and most of all, what God sees. So here's a few easy ways to show honor. The first is respect. The second is recognize and celebrate their unique gifts. We have to learn to respect and recognize each other's gifts and differences and be thankful for those things. To give gifts, this is how you, if you want to honor me, just so you know, give gifts. <laughs> give gifts or public praise. Trust their word and follow through with your word. Okay, like, one thing that drives me crazy is when people are really late to meetings. Like, I try not to be late. I try to be five minutes early. Sometimes I'm a few minutes late. I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that. But if you're 30 minutes late to a meeting, you just dishonored my time. Okay, so that's what it means to follow through with your word is to say, we're committed to this, and I'm going to follow through, and now that's a showing honor to the person that I've committed to. 
So that's just a practical way to throw, show honor. You guys ready for number two? Are you sure? You want to leave honor alone for a while? Okay, the second point is this. Speak life over those around you. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who live it will eat its fruit. Ephesians 4.29-32 says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were, you were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God has forgiven you. So what I've noticed, I think, is like kind of the greatest shame of time is that when death is spoken over people, they don't move into what God's gifted them for, what God's called them to, what their uniqueness is. But when life is spoken over people, people shine. So the thing is, when you speak death over someone, or you criticize, or you nag, or you point out constantly the failures and the weaknesses in an unhealthy way, when you get angry, when you blow up, this is what I see. I see this picture of someone laying in a grave, and every time you speak death over them, you just add dirt to their grave. Every time someone in their life speaks, well, you're not good enough, you're just burying the gifts you're just burying the person. You're just burying the truth of who they're called to be and the gifts that are inside of them. And you're just helping the enemy, ultimately. You're just helping him bury whatever God would ever see them do. Whereas when we pull out the life inside of people and we pull, go gold digging inside of our friends and our, the people around us and we say, I'm committed to digging out the gold in you. I'm chipping away one by one with every encouraging word, every life-giving word. I'm chipping away the hardness of their heart, the things around the gold, the things that are blocking them from engaging. I'm chipping that away when I say, I'm committed to speaking life over you. So when I, I think about this, it's really easy for me to think of this illustration that we've used several times, but Jason, um, just growing up in different situations and circumstances since he was young, was always spoken over that you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you'll never be able to reach older people. I mean, like, look at our church. Here we are, we're a church of multiple generations. And see, the thing is, is he could have allowed that to be something that would bury him and bury the God-given gifts inside of him. But instead, thankfully, he had other people around him that chipped away at those things that would have hardened his heart, that dug back out those, that dirt that was burying him and said, no, 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 no. That's not who you're called to be. So the thing is, is when we ignore the flaw and call out the banner over someone's life, we get to see the gold come out. Okay, and then whether that's in your prayer time or it's directly with the person that you're in conflict with or in life with, like that's our job and our responsibility in relationship, in partnership. It's not just about what they can do for us, right? It's about what we can do for them. And so this is why I point this out is because I feel like it's so important and I think we're in this world of complaining and, and we're kind of like the Israelites where nothing's ever good enough. 
where we have everything we need and yet we still complain because they didn't do it exactly that way. Thank you for doing the dishes, but you didn't put them away correctly. Like my, my, dish, my cupboards are utter chaos. But guess what? I'm not doing the dishes anymore. So I'm good, <laughs> right? But if I go in and I say, well, Justice, you know, you did the dishes, I guess, but you didn't do it right. Am I adding life to him? Or am I burying him and I'm not good enough? Right? So sometimes we have to overlook the flaws. Sometimes those flaws are only there because we only see them because we made them up in the first place. Right? And sometimes they're, they're true flaws. But people don't start working on themselves until they hear someone else tell them that they can be someone else. That they don't have to live in that place that they came from. They don't have to live in their past. They don't have to live in their brokenness. And sometimes people will sit in their brokenness because no one's telling them that they should be out of that. I had seasons in my life where I was broken for a long time. And finally someone said, are you done yet? And I said, no. But two weeks later, I was done because it rang in my head that I had to be done with this. I needed to move on because God had something different. Do you need people in your world to tell you, hey, that's not where you belong, right? And when I, Jason at Bible College, he, uh, he went to Bible College to be a guitar player, right? <laughs> Something like that. He went to Hillsong, so I mean, it's not like a joke, like it's a real thing. But he went there to be um, a part of the worship team there, and that, that's just where he went to Bible College. But two weeks in, they had gone on this uh, retreat where God wrecked him and said, no, you're, you're going to build my church. You're going to be a pastor. And, and so he called me probably at 2 a.m. because that's the only time he always called me when it was convenient for him. He wasn't yet a gold digger. So he called me at 2 a.m. and said, hey, I'm switching lanes. I'm going to be a pastor. And I was like, absolutely. And I could say that because I saw past his humanity and saw the gifts that God had for him and had him called into. I saw the leadership on his life, so it was easy for me to say, absolutely, I totally see that. And you see, Jesus does the same thing. You can look in the Bible and see Jesus do the same thing with Peter. If you know anything about Peter, he was a goofball, okay? The guy was a little bit emotional. I mean, he chopped off someone's ear just out of emotion, He denied Jesus just hours after being with him, denied Jesus. And yet Jesus, knowing that Peter was like that, sits with him, and we see in Matthew 16, 18 through 19, and I like the message version of this, he says, and now I'm going to tell you who you are really are. Okay, so I imagine Peter was told many times who he was. Jesus was telling him, this is who you really are, Peter. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any door and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on yes is a, a yes on earth is a yes in heaven, and no on earth is a no in heaven. Peter, always having responded out of who he was, who he had kind of been told he was, an emotional guy, 
is now being told you're no longer going to be that emotionally wavering guy. You're going to be a rock. And you're going to be a rock that I'm going to build a church on that cannot be shaken. And then we see Peter go into Acts and see thousands and thousands and thousands of people changed and, and accepting Jesus and following Jesus because of Peter's proof and tro- uh, because Jesus told him that he was going to be that guy. So it took, though, Peter coming, out of a, coming into a place of understanding who he was but who Jesus was calling him to be to see and believe who he was going to be. And then we go into Acts and see everything that Acts is, which is full of miracles and full of him growing the church. Most often people are simply functioning out of words, whether their own or those placed on them, that have compiled for years and years. And it's our job to speak life and pull out the truth from within them. Amen? All right, let's go to our last point. Team can come up. The third point is this, serve those around you. Do you ever notice how humbling it is to be served? Some of us are really uncomfortable with it, right? We're like, oh, no, don't do do all that. Don't go to all that effort. But there's something really humbling about being served, I, I, as a pastor, we've gone to several people's houses, and I'll text out of courtesy and say, hey, what can I bring? What can I contribute to dinner, you know? And they'll say, oh, nothing, just yourselves. And I'm like, I like this. Okay, I'm coming, just myself. Then I'll get there, and I'll start helping with the dishes, and they're, no, 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 just sit down. Just sit down and enjoy. And I'm like, this is amazing, (laughs) right? But what it does is it pulls out these things inside of me that says, I want to serve people like that. I want to encourage others in that way. I want to make people feel so special that you don't have to do anything when you walk into my home. That this can be a place of refuge. That this is going to be a place where you can find yourself and how God sees you because you don't have to worry about all the extra things. So serving... The ultimate example of that is, of course, in Jesus, right? In Matthew 20, 28, it says this, that is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who were held hostage. You know, serving isn't a one-time thing. Honor isn't a one-time thing. Speaking life isn't a one-time thing. All these things require repetition, there are things, and, and then they don't ask for notification. That's the other thing. It's like Jason, he'll take out the trash, and I think he's finally got now that I'm not going to say anything because it's just your job, like, just take out the trash. You know, <laughs> no. But the reality is they'll, he'll do something extra, like the dishes, and he'll, you know, kind of wait till I say something, and I'm like, thank you, you know, (laughs) like, thanks for contributing, but the reality is that serving isn't just a one-time thing, and then you get praise and accolade. It's not about you, remember? Serving is about them, so it's going to take time over and over and over again, repetition of saying, I'm going to do this thing because I know they love this. I know they value this. I'm going to do this thing because I want to serve them. I want them to feel and know how valuable they are. And if I serve them, then I'm pulling out the value inside of them where they can see themselves the way that God has created them, where they can see themselves in a way that uh, someone deserves to be served. They can see the gifts and the talents and they can see the things inside of them because serving them requires them to look inside themselves and say, why do I deserve this? God must have... 
God must have something special for me. I must be worth it. I must be valuable. It causes us to reflect on ourselves when other people encourage us, when other people speak life. And then we get to see the gold dug out. Right? And I think perhaps the greatest act of change that this generation needs is one that doesn't label people for how they act, but rather calls out the labels not yet seen by themselves. It's asking us to see past their acts, to see past their behaviors, to see past their words, and say, God, what do you see in them? I can't see it right now. She's two. I can't see it. But I know you gave me her name. So I know there's something. <laughs> I know you brought her here on purpose. So I know there's gold. Right? I know you put me together in this family, in this generation, during this time, for a reason. So what do I need to see in my spouse? that I cannot see right now. And asking God to show us what he sees, labels of strength and courageousness and being a warrior and a lover and kind and generous and a leader, a gift, talented, those labels on others that we don't yet see. It's our job to help see it. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray.